Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Manufacturing Talk Radio Podcast. I'm Tim Grady, here with host Lou Weiss, who is the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio Podcast. And joining us today, and forgive me, Mike, if I get this wrong, is Mike Babaic, who is the Director of Supply Chain Technology Strategy at Longbow Advantage. I'm glad I got that title out. There was a lot of words in that. I, I feel like I could get an acronym in there for that probably next time. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, we appreciate you joining us. I was just reading before I came into the studio for this episode that Google is laying off robots. So, <laughs> so we'll talk about robots today with you and what Longbow Advantage does with robots and helps the industry out there. Do whatever you do with them, but we're going to let you explain right now. Okay, sure thing. So, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the uh, intro. The uh, I've been with the Longbow Advantage team for a better part of two years now, and I help out with uh, customer success. I help out with some pre-sales, but at the end of the day, um, what I'm really doing is making sure that customers are getting the most out of the uh, platforms that we have, and that we're all working together towards optimizing our supply chain because. With what we've gone through in the past couple of years, there, it, there is no new norm. The new norm is just seems to be flux. Uh, prior to coming to Longbow, I spent the better part of 10 years working in operations over at Amazon. I had a, uh, a bunch of different roles there, a series of sites. I even had a um, one of my networks had was uh, autonomous uh, picking and packing, and I had about 2,000 drive units spread across the country. So I got to see a bunch of different types of operations, and I spent a number of years integrating um, Amazon subsidiaries onto their platforms as well. Wow, that's uh, that sounds like a lot of hours a week you put in. It was. It was. It was a long nine and a half years. Yeah. No. The. Uh, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was being involved with a lot of different teams across the country uh, from different parts of the organization, and we we um, there was a moving on to like you mentioned, getting us into that space where what are we going to do next with robotics? And now that I've left Amazon, I'm uh, working with a lot of different large organizations. Uh, robotics is at the front of everyone's mind. I mean, if you. Uh, I don't know if uh, you went down to Modex last year when they opened that back up in Atlanta. The, I've right. never seen that many robotics in one place. It was absolutely amazing. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of the same when, at Promat this year over in Chicago. But it's definitely something that everyone has to look at. And I think it's going to become more of a standard part of everyone's supply chain solutions. One of my favorite robotic stories is Boston Dynamics and the dancing robots. Ah. Have you ever seen that? It, I, I, I've seen a couple different dancing robots. Which ones are you, are you referencing? Yeah, I, I don't know. These are like giant robots. They do backflips and they do all kinds of things. Go to Boston Dynamics. I'm going to plug them here. They have yep. some great, great videos of what robots could do. Yep. Uh, that said, by the way, I, I want to mention it here at the beginning of the show. It, for our listeners that um, uh, you were kind enough to uh, uh, write an article for our Manufacturing Outlook easing, which is going to be coming out uh, mid-month of uh, March. And uh, it's a very interesting article, and I think you all ought to take a, take a crack at it. And uh, we're going to have a, we're going to have something at the bottom of the page here when this goes uh, live, 
so that people can just click on it and get the article, get the easing and so on. So that said, Tim. So Mike, let us know what Longbow Advantage is doing with its customers. Where do robots fit in the supply chain? We're used to talking with supply chain managers. It's a lot of on the phone, having conversations. So where does the robot fit in? So what Longbow does is we have uh, two separate sides of our business. We have the uh, a 20 year old consulting operation where we have over 60 different uh, folks who all come from operations who help with WMS implementation enhancements and upgrades, as well as we work with different TMS and LMS systems as well. Um, then we also have a platform that was developed based off of a lot of the needs. We would go in installing all these WMS systems and there was always additional work. And our founder was always building additional uh, functionality to kind of help enhance some of the unique features that a lot of people were looking for. And that's how we developed the Rebus platform. And what Rebus does is it kind of fills in the gaps that are difficult for a lot of uh, WMS and other systems to do. On one hand, it connects a, a wide variety of disparate systems all into one source and harmonizes that data. And where that comes into play in our discussion here is, as a lot of our customers that are, we're working with who might have 50 warehouses with uh, three different WMS systems, four different time and attendance, now they're also adding in robotics as well. And the challenge can be when that's another system to log into um, and try to pull, consolidate, and see that data. And that's where, where we come in to help out. And our customers are leveraging that data in order to help uh, evaluate ROI as they're first implementing, as well as to be able to see in real time how the other aspects of their um, operation are being impacted by the uh, addition of automation. So Mike, where is robotics right now? I mean, we understand that it's probably pretty well in place in with the big guys. Is it mostly that they're looking at it in their warehousing operations? And when does the middle market and the small guy get to play affordably? It, it, you, you're throwing a very big quantifier there right at the end about the affordable <laughs> option. And that that is one of the challenges in it is well, one, the, the cost, uh, two, there's the implementation of and the impact of the operation. But overall, I can't think of all the people I talk to, customers as well as peers, that of anyone who's not really looking at automation in some way, shape, or form for their operation. And a challenge with that also can become, with that demand, the amount of lead time that's out there. Um, a year ago, lead times were getting into the two to three year phase uh, because the demand had spiked so large. I'm seeing them come back a lot further than that now, but um, to more of the 11 month, 13 month uh, range before you can do that. But, and like we mentioned, there's a lot of challenges with come with making that transformation into that um, automation aspect. The, the point that Tim made about making it affordable, uh, I, I gather that to whatever degree, and I, I'm not all that caught up on what you do, but the robotics as a service. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So for robotics as a service, I think that's one of the ways that the industry is working towards trying to bring that affordability to the front of the, uh, in the front of mind, in front of the house, is where you're not necessarily having to sync all that up front and the purchasing and ongoing. More uh, kind of that as a service, just like uh, my our platform is software as a service as well, that you're not, and I think that's what makes it a much um, more attainable entry point uh, into getting that automation in there. Because right now, 
like we mentioned, the little guy is getting impacted by the labor shortage just as much as the big organizations. And a lot of times they don't have as many tools at their disposal to really either move uh, demand around in their networks or to uh, bring in additional solutions if they do require that massive uh, capital cost up front. So how does your ro robotics as a service work? What kind of numbers are we talking about? you know, for the little guy or littler guy and medium-sized guy. Right. For So for the actual cost, I think that's going to uh, vary greatly based on the uh, type of platform that they're looking to uh, do. Uh, we have uh, most of the customers that I'm working with right now, uh, we haven't seen a lot move onto that subscription, so I don't have the greatest visibility into what those numbers might be um, right. a lot the ones who are i think that's a, a little bit more recent of an option out there and i haven't seen a lot of those implemented just yet well as our listeners uh now's the time to get them while they're cheap <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i think and also i think it's a very good time too because the the amount of demand that's come up in the last two years there's a lot of innovation that's going on. So uh, buying and getting involved in the robotics at this point is really where it's a lot of new things are being tried. You can get in where things can uh, be tweaked a little bit because I'm a big fan of making sure that solutions you go for are scalable because um, one size fits all does, does not make sense on uh, for um, pretty much any organization. Right, right. Mike, I'm just curious with the robotics in the supply chain, where are they operating? Is it uh, you know, moving pallets in the warehouses? Is it pick and pack? Some of your experience from Amazon. Where is the, is the robot appearing in great numbers in the supply chain? So I think uh, we're seeing the automated guided vehicles, but I think the sweet spot is um, it, it, the roles that they're starting to fill. Because one of the things I would always run into is people saying, you're trying to replace me with robots. And that's just not the case. And I'm actually starting to see a lot of folks on the ground there. People are getting it now because they, they've seen that we've had the help wanted sign out in front of the warehouse for five months in a row that we're still having to run extra shifts and because we don't have enough people. So they're starting to get it. We're not bringing robots in to replace people as much as to bring stability to the operation. And I think to your point on that, the other aspect is most of the things that a, where a robot's gonna be doing in the warehouse are the least desirable aspects of the job. They're gonna be doing the picking. They're gonna be doing the transportation work where no longer you're gonna to have to walk 10 to 13 miles a day. The uh, the inventory pod's gonna be brought to you at your station where you're gonna be able to pick it and then pack it more efficiently. So it's uh, not as much replacing the individual. It's about making sure we're taking uh, the uh, some of the most uh, unproductive aspects of work that are, um, and also some of the ones that are also at more risk. Uh, getting rid of the robotic arms that are out there that become more popular are really reducing the amount of repetitive motion that's going on in the warehouse, which is a primary source of injuries. And that which uh, it, I think as the teams get more and more used to it, and they see that they're, the robots are meant to in, uh, improve their experience and the robots are meant to take away some of the, that risk and some of that repetitiveness and the stress out of their uh, work. I've done some reading recently about AI and uh, robotics. And uh, there's some interesting concerns about AI and robotics. You know, they, 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 sci-fi movies decades ago talked about where 
robotics, they took over the world, they took over the country, they took over, well, what I read, uh, there was a CIA agent who wrote a book about AI, and uh, for the life of me right now, I can't remember the name of it, but he had an interesting point in there that the real concern about AI and robotics is what happens when the robot, the robot can turn themselves on and off. Will they, will they, could they take over? Or because right now they don't have the capability to turn themselves on. They can turn themselves off, but they can't turn themselves on. So what's your thought yeah. on that? I, I, I think we're still a couple of years out from Skynet, but uh, I think, but it, it is, I mean, it's, we're looking at more AI solutions every day in robotics and elsewhere. I mean, you can't open uh, up a, a newsfeed right now and not see something about, I believe, what, a chat GP, where uh, it, that the automate, uh, everyone's asking it all the questions and we're seeing this wide variety of responses, some of them a little on the concerning side. Um, but it's a, it's a really interesting, and, and that's a pretty pivotal moment when they can turn themselves back on and what that means. But um, in my experience thus far, the uh, rope, I mean, I'm trying to think of articles that I saw that uh, where there was a significant negative outcome. The one that always pops in my mind is there was a little kid playing chess against a robot and it broke his finger. So they might not be spare sports and they might not be uh, player pleasant uh, opponents in chess. But um, the amount of uh, safety features that are typically getting uh, built in, whether it's the bump stops, well, meaning that if it, uh, a robotic vehicle unintentionally or unexpectedly strikes an object, it's going to stop um, robotics arms. There's a lot of physical safety you can put up around access points and maintaining that. So I think when it comes from a, a setup and a layout perspective, having your maintenance team and having your um, safety team taking a good look at who can get next to that robot and what are the lockout tagout procedures before you get anywhere near it. So I guess when they did the movie Space Odyssey, they weren't thinking about that, and they created Hal, the yep. evil compute, uh, computer. Yep. Which I have understood that Hal was actually IBM. It's oh. one letter off. On, on each one of those? I yes. did not know that on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then we have all the good robot stories, like Short Circuit with uh, Johnny Five, you know? I mean, <laughs> no disassemble. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, I'm glad that someone got that joke. All right, thank you. All right. But uh, a little less known than uh, the, uh, the Odyssey. But um, yeah, I think there's there's going to be concern out there. Um, there. I think there's safeguards in the system. And I, I, I don't think we know everything about it just yet. When you look at the AI programs, uh, the amount of times they've turned an AI on, they've let it loose to self-learn, and then sometimes it goes down a poor path. Um, so I, I think there's very good opportunity for very specific functions of that um, of AI and machine learning, where we can leverage the ability to pull in a lot of different data points in order to make better decisions overall. But the one thing I would always advise, it's uh, it, to me, it always comes in the uh, from the operational side when we're doing labor planning. Um, I you could build a, a tool for labor planning that pulls in so many different data. So you can have it pull in weather, you can have it pull in traffic, you can have it pull in everything else you want. But uh, my classic example is 
my labor planning tool didn't know when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. This was a couple of Super Bowls back. And so the, my uh, labor planning tool was never going to know that no one was showing up during the parade that night. Um, there still needs to be that uh, human interaction and that uh, validation in the system, in my opinion, because the there's always going to be outside um, uh, analysis that needs to be done and tweaks that need to be made, whether that's uh, the operations team making commitments to improvements of performance or identifying where they have planned downtime in a labor plan or where um, you're, like I said, if you have a system that is at Ronco, set it and forget it, it takes important people's skin out of the game where I don't ever want my systems to become a blame bucket where people can say, I did what the machine told me to, I can't be held accountable for my results. And I, I think that is a very clear distinction that uh, as you implement different tools and strategies, that at the end of the day, operators own operations. And that is going to be ours to solve, uh, whether it's from a daily production perspective or whether it's for building out redundancies in our systems. Mike, are you seeing much use of exoskeletons now in, for instance, warehouse operations. I know they're trying to use them in the military for handling heavy ammunition. Yep. Yeah, I, I remember uh, seeing those robots at a military conference years ago when I was moving arms into ammunition and explosives and doing military logistics. And they're impressive. I haven't seen those yet. I think they are at this point i think exoskeletons are probably a little bit precluded uh from a cost perspective so we're a little far off we keep going with the movie references from seeing ellen ripley moving pallets around in the robotic suit but uh i mean but to like we said whether it's the SaaS based getting a subscription service whether and it's about the longevity of it but um i there i think there could be a time where that would start to make sense um what I'm seeing more is the um, more automated systems for, say, moving pallets around. Uh, so uh, there's so many different robotics options out there. There are some that replace pieces of equipment and can uh, or need their own dedicated area. There are other ones that are more supplemental that a, a picking a automated guided vehicle that you follow behind and work. I think one of the pitfalls we need to make sure we avoid though is I was vacationing in um, Cambridge, Maryland with my wife at a, a very nice uh, hotel. And I was so excited to see that they had an automated vacuum, uh, a lar much larger than a system than like you would think in a Roomba, but it was going up and down the halls doing all the vacuuming. And you think this would be a great benefit, but they had to pay someone to stand four feet behind it the entire time to make sure it didn't do anything wrong or bump in any guests. So that's a really expensive vacuum to have someone have to babysit in the first place all that time. So I, I think there's going to be learning curves out there, but also it's uh, at the end of the day, we got to make sure our solutions are providing um, operational efficiencies and, or, uh, and safety gains as well. Well, as uh, innovation evolves, they'll wind up having a computer robot following behind the vacuum cleaner and making sure that they don't bump into people yeah, or, or and that they make rates that 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 is where we're getting to that scary because i bet you that one would be able to turn itself on and that would be bad yeah. Yeah. i'm telling you there's a problem <laughs> with that <laughs> well mike I'm, I'm reading that the japanese are kind of in their own direction in robotics they're taking more human form applications to them I, I read with great interest an article of a hotel in Japan that is automated. Even the desk clerk is like a velociraptor. And the, the person, 
the robot that takes her luggage up to the room is yet some other kind of dinosaur. So really? I'm, I'm anxious to see that one. I'm not uh, sure we'll have any of that anytime soon in the warehouse. Right, but take the example of there's McDonald's. I forget the location down south where they're doing a, a, a I don't think it's fully automated, but it's almost, uh, it's a very high level of automation, new redesigning of the McDonald's platform where it's all takeout. There's no sit down area. It's the automate ordering is done on the touch screens and things are brought right up. And I don't even think there's someone at the register and the, on one hand, you heard people going, oh my gosh, we're going to lose all these jobs because of the automation. On the other hand, we can't fill the jobs. There, the, there's, I, I think it might have changed since the labor report I read, but there was 1.7 open jobs for every uh, a person that's unemployed right now across the states. Uh, I think there's, coming out of COVID, there's a lot, uh, people are a lot more selective about where they work. And the uh, the rates are continuing to maintain to be high. And and the when I was in upstate New York just a couple months ago, it was uh, eighteen ninety nine an hour uh, to be a, a, for staffing a clerk at a gas station. And I, I think that is definitely some of the new normal because I don't see the labor rates going down. Um, but people are finding roles that are uh, doing that. And when the cost goes up that high. I think it does open up the um, the window to add automation to help balance the labor, the lack of labor, and also the cost of labor. My wife and I went to Cape Cod last summer, and we stopped off uh, along the way, and we wound up going into a, a very large supermarket. And we walked in, and they had a whole staff of computers, humanoids. And they were these humanoids were running around the store and would go up to people and ask them, "How can I help you? What are you looking for?" And then it, it freaks you out. But and then when they start battery starts running down, they go back to the front of the store and they plug themselves back in to recharge. And I don't know if we ever bought anything there because I was just so amazed, you know, based on the fact that we're doing manufacturing talk radio, I went around following the robot. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting how being in an industry or a type of operation so long can really influence your uh, behavior. Uh, I, I, if I walk around a Walmart and I see a pallet that's not down and the handles turned to the side, I can't stop, uh, help but stop, drop the pallet and turn it. You know, I mean, I want to see what's going on in the operation. I, I'm go, I walk through a facility. I'm like, their five S is really spot on. These, these, these folks are squared away. You know, it, it, it just, it becomes a, a part of your perspective. <laughs> no doubt. You know, there is now a McDonald's franchisee group for fully automated McDonald's locations. And we have a guest on our show who's on once a month who also speaks to that group. And really? one, of, one of the comments that I made back when minimum wage was $7.85 an hour, and they said, oh, we got to make minimum wage $15 an hour. It's not a livable wage at $7.85. I said, McDonald's can automate at $12.50. What do you think is going to happen to the job? Yep. yep. Well, that's where they're going. And, and I, I know the minimum wage has been raised lately in a lot of locations, but I don't, I, I'm not seeing anywhere where I see a help wanted sign that's advertising and you get minimum wage. 
um, the, I, everything I see is above that $12 uh, dollar mark that you were talking about. I don't think I've seen a help wanted sign at any convenience store or fast food place that's been on below $16 in as of late. And I have a good buddy of mine who has a, a site up in Connecticut that uh, they're uh, off the street right now for with uh, not necessarily a fork driver or anything along those lines. It's $23 an hour. And I don't see I don't see it coming down. And I but I think that is really what in the long term starts to bring that automation in. But I think one of the things that's important to maintain the sight of is you don't want to just squeeze the balloon. Okay, now we've shrunk the amount of say that uh, where we're not having to spend that $18 an hour um, uh, for that type of work. But also now we have to add maintenance techs who know how to work on robotics. And is that an even harder role to fill than what we we're looking at earlier? But I, I still go back to, I don't think we're going to be fully, uh, we're not going to be eliminating jobs. We're just uh, eliminating things that we can't fill a job for at that point. And I granted the robotics maintenance works. Uh, those techs are going to be uh, at a higher price point. And it's all about balancing that ROI that's available out there. Well, Mike, we look forward to your article in Manufacturing Outlook. We're pressed on time here. So again, just want to remind our listeners that the Manufacturing Outlook e-zine is a free subscription, comes out every month, talks about a lot of different subjects. You ought to get involved and look for Mike's article, the cover story on the March issue. Mike, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you both today. It was fun. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Tim? What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about our other shows. <laughs> we uh, we do have shows uh, three, sometimes three, four a week, uh, mm -hmm. and it's all about manufacturing. It's Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have uh, Harry Moser who talks about uh, reshoring and bringing manufacturing back to the United States. He's mm -hmm. on once a month, usually the last Thursday of the month. Uh, and uh, we call it uh, Everybody Loves Harry. And uh, actually, he only found out about that this past week when I finally told him. Uh, we also have uh, uh, Think Tank Manufacturing and Think Tank uh, with uh, Cliff Waldman. Uh, and you just got to tune in and our shows are all different, but they're all about manufacturing. So tune in to manufacturingtalkradio.com and we look forward to seeing you all at our next show. Thanks take, for being with us. Take take care now and we'll be we'll be talking to you. Bye bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.